The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn, episode number three. Joining me from Megadeth, it is bassist David Ellison, and we talk about his new Dawn Patrol chorus pedal from Protone Pedals. We also look back at Dystopia. It's been a year since the album has been released. We also talk about Ellison Coffee, religion, and a lot, lot more. Before we get to David, please make sure to check me out on Twitter, at Mitch LaFawn, and... Uh, through Twitter, I got a nice message from a fan called Mark Alden Taylor. And he said to me, you know, I remember back in the day when you used to interview Bill Leverty of Firehouse quite a bit. Would you be able to get Bill Leverty on? Well, yeah, actually I can, Mark. And, uh, you know, since we start doing a little bit of rock news at the top of every episode, I got Bill Leverty to do it. So here, without further ado, with your rock news, it is the one, the only, from Firehouse. Bill Leverty. Hey, thanks, Mitch. Well, Aerosmith is back in the news. The boys from Boston have decided to put off touring North America this year in order to focus on making a new album. Joe Perry tells AZ Central, one of the reasons we postponed the tour was to give ourselves some time to get something done. We definitely have another record in us, if not two, but we'll see how that goes. So that's good news for those of us who want a new Aerosmith record, and um, those of us who want to see him live will have to wait. I'll never forget dropping the needle on that debut Aerosmith album. Every song just blew me away as a kid, and um, I still love that album today. I think it's the best debut ever by any rock band. I mean, there's no debut album, I don't think, that can touch the, that first Aerosmith album. And, of course, all the other albums they put out after that. Just what an amazing band. Okay, also in the news, Junkyard and Lil Caesar have announced a hit-and-run tour of North America. Little Caesar singer Ron Young is remembered by many as being the biker thrown through the window of the bar by Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2. Mitch LaFon will be at the Junkyard Little Caesar show on May 22nd at the Brass Monkey in Ottawa. Certainly stop by and say hello. And last but not least, Bill Leverty, that's me, has released a new single called You're a Natural. And it's on my website, Leverty.com. I hope you'll take a minute to check it out. Hope you guys have a great one. Back to you, Mitch. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Big thank you to Bill Leverty of Firehouse. You can never go wrong with Bill. Please head over to Leverty.com and check out everything Bill's doing. You will be very, very pleasantly surprised. Um, let's get over to our episode here with bassist David Ellison of Megadeth. The band is on tour with the Scorpions this summer, and nothing warms the cockles of my heart more than the words, the Scorpions are on tour. They are one of my absolute favorite bands. In fact, if you look at my iPhone, I think 17 playlists are nothing but Scorpions. So that is how infatuated I am with that band. And it, it is a great combination to see the Scorpions and Megadeth together. Can't go wrong there. So without further ado, let's get right into this. Here is the one, the only, bassist extraordinaire from Megadeth, 
David Ellison. We are speaking with David Ellison, of course, of Megadeth, but we are going to talk about pretty much everything but Megadeth today, though I'm sure we'll have to throw something in there because you announced a, a tour with the Scorpions, right? So we can't totally ignore it. <laughs> exactly. How you doing, man? How are you? Good. Life, life is good. Uh, very, very busy these days, keeping, uh, keeping myself out of, off the streets, actually. So, yeah, you know. yeah. No, it's, it's good. To be, I know the feeling, believe me. It's good to be working. You know? It's good to be doing stuff and... Well, yeah. you, you and me are guys who never seem to be wanting. <laughs> yeah, so so let's let, let's let's talk about all that. We've got these uh, Dawn Patrol or the uh, Proton Pedals Dawn Patrol uh, cores. We've got uh, the coffee. We've got Dollskin. We've got your your record company. We've got, I mean, whew, there's so many things. So let, let's yeah. start with these pedals. Uh, Proton <laughs> pedals. The Dawn Patrol chorus. Now, I watched a little video online that you did, and and you talk about them. But, but talk to me about how they came to you, or how you guys got together, and how much say do you have in the actual technical aspects of, of putting these pedals together? Well, I, you know, it's funny. Proton pedals. They they had approached. They're actually talking to my partner Tom at uh, EMP Label Group, and about just artists and doing things. And Tom happened to he, he kind of he's great at this stuff. He's great at sort of seeing opportunities and and sort of pulling things out of the air. And you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and add a little of that, and bang, there we go. You know, and and, uh, and and that's how the conversation started. So when he hit me on it, I said, yeah. I said, let's. It's, I said, you know, it'd be cool to call it the Dawn Patrol Chorus because really the only part of the live show with Megadeth I use any effects at all is in Dawn Patrol. And lately we've been transitioning also into uh, Dawn Patrol straight into the Poison of the Cure. And, um, and those two, and which also has a, this bass intro. And so I use a chorus pedal for, for those exact moments. I never, I really don't use an effect for anything else. I've been kind of toying with some little bit of maybe some distortion or something for that riff and fatal illusion just you know me in the front of house guy kind of tweaking on it but so you know chorus is really it so they're like why not call it the dawn patrol chorus it kind of works well i like to use that fallout shelter symbol as kind of synonymous with my name and likeness and and my my branding of signature products that i do and and so that's how it started. So they, they, I, as I talked to Dennis, um, the owner of uh, Proton Pedals, I said, look, the, the main thing for me with a pedal is I hate as a bass player when you turn a pedal on, suddenly all the bottom end and the bass falls out because that's my number one primary job as a bass player, especially in Megadeth, is to support the low end. He said, dude, I hear you. I think we got you dialed. So he, he said, let me work on this. I'm going to whip together a prototype for you and, and send it out. And he sent it to me. And um, sure enough, I mean, as soon as I turned it on, it didn't change the low end fundamental at all. And so I was like, wow, awesome. So then I started kind of just tweaking and playing with the, you know, the parameters of, of the sweep and the rate and the kind of the mix of, of that and to make sure I could get a, a, a nice, you know, tone of a chorus that I like. And I did. And I mean, it was really, they really nailed it out of the gate. I mean, Dennis listened to what I needed and he, uh, he put it together in the first prototype and I, I signed off on it. So I love when, when partnerships, that's kind of the thing, whether it's coffee, a label, a pedal, whatever it is, it, there just needs, it's like being in a band, you know, you kind of be able to, you know, you pretty much speak the same language together. Now, is this the first of many pedals or is this, no, this is the pedal and we're just going to leave it at that. 
No, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of what I said to Dennis. I said, listen, to be honest with you, I said, you know, I, I mean, I use one other pedal by Providence and it's not a signature product. It's just something that they already have. It's called a dual base station. And but what it does in particular is when I turn it on, it, it, it adds that really crisp, like tone that, that really high end component that I have on like the countdown to extinction record. It's a very precision um, very distinctive sound, uh, particular from that record, you know? Um, so that, that's one other thing that I, that I use. And I, that's just kind of a general tone enhancer, so to speak. So I don't even really think of it as a pedal cause it's kind of just on all the time, you know, during the live show. Um, but as far as effects, you certainly this chorus now is, is a go. And then I, I said to him, I said, listen, if we have success with this and, and we, we, you know, it works. I said, listen, maybe we should talk about doing some kind of a, you know, a distortion kind of pedal there. There's a lot of the popular ones that are out there right now. I don't like them. I don't like how they sound. They, to me, they, they're, they, they sound fake, you know? Um, so I said, yeah, I said, look, there's a possibility we could be talking about a couple of different things moving forward now. Oh, so that, that's actually exciting. So we might have a line of, of, of this stuff. Now, let me, yeah. B- yeah. because we've got so much going on here, I'm just going to move around. The uh, Van Warps Tour of 2017 was recently announced. Yeah. And one of your yeah. bands, Dollskin, is on it. So let, let's talk Dollskin, and then let's also talk the label. First of all, as... Mm-hmm a label guy now emp label group what are you looking for in terms of signings is it just stuff you find cool is it bands that you want to develop that you don't think have it right yet and you need to to get them to that level is it anybody is it classical rock punk just what are we doing what are we looking for yes the answer is yes all the above okay um i formed the label really to put the record out i formed this imprint um initially i had it over with um one of the megaforce um cut through their distribution and they and we worked one single together and and i had a you know a relationship with them right primarily for me and frank bellow doing altitudes and attitudes they pushed out our our three song ep that we did uh with them so I, you know I, they're, they're kind of a go-to source but I realized with these labels, what it is, is essentially, you know, as a label, we pretty much have to pay for and fund and do everything. And so with Dowskin, it was really one of my first production uh, projects that I had done in many, many years. You know, I'd done some things with Hellstar years back and various things. And I just found as a touring musician, you know, to come off the road, get my head into producing. It's, it's a big shift, you know, um, of, of just that mindset. And, and I don't really like being in the studio all the time. You know, I like kind of coming in and out. And I spend more time in the studio now because I have a, a couple of studios here in town from, from some friends who have some really good studios. And, and when I'm creating, the last thing I want to do is have to also engineer and, you know, sort of run pro tools and do all that. I, I just, I don't do well with it. So I'm better being the guy who creates and plays and produces. And I have someone else handling really kind of the engineering and, and, and that aspect of it. So, so with Dalskin, I, I produced this, what became a five song EP. And, and so out of necessity is how I formed EMP label group. So initially I was thinking, now oh, look, I'll just kind of have it sitting here and I can pipeline some things through to a distributor as I produce and come across a few things. And in the process, I was, I was, you know, Tom Hazer and I became friends. We had worked together on putting together, um, uh, he was putting together a, a DVD uh, of the musical artists who performed on the, the Wes Craven film Shocker. And Megadeth, of course, had No More Mr. Nice Guy on it. So that's how Tom and I became friends. Was just, 
he reached out to me and said, look, I'd love to have you give me some thoughts and, you know, some shoots and video and, and Megadeth should be part of this, this, you know, sort of this bonus part of the soundtrack. So Tom said, he goes, listen, man, I will help you put the, the label together. I've run labels. I've worked for labels. I have a lot of experience in this area. So it honestly has kind of getting out of it because the, you know, the label business has changed so much. And, um, but he said, look, I look for Dalskin will be the first thing we put out, which we did back in April, 2016. And Dalskin very much a developmental deal because, um, you know, a lot of people were excited about it, but they realized it's, you know, they're a young group. They've got a great sound. They've got a great look, but it, it, things need to develop. You just like what Megan did with killing is my business. You know, we did that record, we did that tour and then, um, actually a couple tours around it. And then that led to us getting signed to Capitol Records. So I'm very, you know, used to this process as an artist myself. And, um, so along with, you know, along with uh, the Dalskin record, we put out Cage Nine, we um, put out Green Death um, out of out of uh, Des Moines, who are friends with Corey Taylor, and he put them on a Not Fast last year. And, you know, so just things started to develop, and all of a sudden there were these younger bands who, you know, just really needed a, a kind of an on-ramp into the business. And, and as much as you can do things through CD Baby and TuneCore and, and, and ha- you know, you can make money doing that that way, but it's, you're not... It's hard to, I think when you're on a label, you, you're, you're validated, you know, there's a legitimacy to what you're doing. And so when we put records out, we're, you know, most of them are rock, mostly harder rock, some punk, mostly metal records. Um, you know, when, when we put a record out, we, you know, there's publicity, there's radio, um, you know, we kind of do the groundswell and sort of the awareness campaign for a lot of these artists. And, you know, now as we turn the corner this year, now we're putting out the Doyle record, Mark Slaughter. Um, uh, Jason McMaster's from Dangerous Toys. We're putting out some Dangerous Toys stuff as well as some of his new stuff. Um, so there's this whole other kind of moving into this this other level now. It's kind of you know legacy metal artists and um, and hard rock artists and 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 they're thankful for it because quite honestly you know the the pickings are pretty slim for labels who will actually put the, a lot of those kind of records out these days. You know and um, I've learned a lot more about the record business. I'll tell you that much. And, uh, you know, like you said, with Dalskin getting on Warp Tour, I mean, that's one. I mean, they just made an incredible record. I mean, really, really great. And and I, I just couldn't be more. In fact, you're shooting a video today for the first single. And, um, you know, being on getting on Warp Tour, it's that's like a band like Megadeth being on Ozfest or Notfest or Gigantour or something. You know, there's it all of a sudden it's like, man, the band has arrived, you know, and. Um, and we've, you know, again, we kind of did the first record for Dalskin. It was kind of like they're killing is my business. And now they're, they've delivered their P-cells and they're ready to go. Yeah, they really are. What kind of advice can you offer a new band? Because, you know, at, at your stage with Megadeth, you know, record companies will come to you. And if they're not working the record properly, you've got management. You've got all kinds of people that'll, you know, kick and scream and say, hey, get this done. But right. what can you offer to, you know, because the new getting into the business is exceptionally difficult and maintaining and building a fan base. So so what kind of things do you suggest to them? Well, again, a new group like Dollskin, I, you know, my team, we manage them. We, you know, we produce them. We manage them, um, you know, very much kind of like old school record business, like Motown. You know what I mean? Like Barry Gordy would discover an artist. He'd produce him. He had a studio. He had a band that played on the record. He had writers. 
Um, you know, so it's, there's a kind of a thing like that. I mean, Dallas can they write all their own material, but it's like, we've got kind of a, a really big wheelhouse of producers and different, you know, like Evan from cage nine produced the new Dalskin record. Fantastic talent. I mean, that kid is just, I just can't say enough good about him, you know? Um, and, and, you know, the right guy who really gets it. So it's nice that we have this huge, you know, wheelhouse of, of people and a few different people to go to, to radio with things and, and, um, you know, so like with a doll skin, it's very much a developmental process, you know, and it, and it's, and, and you approach it like that, you know, other artists say like, um, you know, we're working with Wayland, uh, Revis with another, with the killer's confession and, you know, essentially a, a new group now post mushroom head and, you know, being very realistic about what it is to start over. You know, I had my time away from Megadeth where I did F5, I did temporal brutality. I did some other groups. You know, and I was coming out of a, you know, huge, you know, many times platinum group. And when you, you know, when you start something new, man, you're, you're, you're back at square one again, man. you know? And yeah. so I understand it. And I think I try to be very clear. I speak very practically even from, from my own personal experience that, you know, you know, our, our past and our discography gives validation to, you know, that we're legitimate. But, you know, every new thing we do really kind of lives and dies on its own merit. And I try to be very clear with our artists about that, that it's like, hey, I, I you know, look, you may be on the record label from the guy from Grammy Award winning Megadeth. But, you know, you kind of are carving your own path and I will help you as much as I possibly can. And, and, and sometimes things can be really great. And there just isn't an audience for it, you know, and other times things can be really great. And time and it's it's ahead of its time or maybe it's slightly behind its time, you know, so it's kind of like moving, trying to hit a moving target in the dark, <laughs> you know, and, and that's why when something is clicking, you know, like Dalskin is and, and Mark Slaughter's new record is incredible. And you know what I mean? So there's there's moments where you like and even like like Doyle, you know, what I mean, geez, Doyle coming in again, this big misfit stuff they did last year. You know, these are really good timing for these artists, you know, and, and that's what we try to look for is it isn't just the music. It isn't just the image. It isn't just the pedigree and their history. It's all of it together. It really has to be a story that, that works together. Yeah, and in fact, there's, there's three things that you uh, mentioned there that I want to go back on. First of all, the band F5. Mm -hmm. When was that sort of a shock to the system for you when it wasn't sort of a multi I mean, starting over, was there, I don't want to say an arrogance, like, hey, I'm David from Megadeth and it's going to be this next big thing. Was that sort of like, oh, okay, we got to go back old school and, and get back into the bars? How was that for no. you? That, no. Okay. That, I, 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 was, I was, I think, probably the most realistic about it, you know, to be honest with you, because. In fact, when Megadeth had disbanded, I said, I said, that's it. I'll never do another band ever again. That was it. I had my run. I've been doing this since I was 12 years old. I think I was 38 at the time when the group disbanded. And I was like, that's it. Okay, well, that was fun. On to the next thing. I got my job working for PV, doing artist relations. Um, I, I started looking at colleges to get a college degree, which I ended up doing. And I just kind of had to just sort of shift gears, you know, um, I had, um, you know, I was looking at, you know, should I go play bass for a living and just be a side man? And I was like, you know, my kids are really young. I don't want to be on the road and have my kids grow up without me. It was hard enough being in Megadeth where I was a full participant in that group. 
being away from home, you know, where I could at least come home and have a few months off and enjoy family time. Um, so I had, I had some hard decisions to make and suddenly out of nowhere, probably about a year, I guess it was almost a year after the group disbanded. Uh, I was at, at NAM, um, probably 2003, I guess. And that's when the drummer from that five came up to me and said, Hey, I'm playing on some stuff or you know, the guitar player, Steve, and you should come over and play on some stuff. Be great to have you. And people started inviting me into things. And, and again, I had kind of sworn off bands and music and just sort of was ready to hang it all up and just sort of be done with it, you know? And, and, and what I found is, is, you know, that, and that's how F5 formed. So as we started doing it, I think everybody in the band's going to go, Hey, so when's the tour bus show? Hey, okay, when, what are we going to be on tour? When is this? What? And, and I remember clearly one day in the band room, just saying, guys, you know, you really got to be realistic here that like, dude, th- this may not happen. Like, yeah, some people are going to pay attention to it. Cause it's my first, I've never done a solo project or any other band thing away from Megadeth is my first one, but it's a different sound. Um, it's not thrash metal, you know? Um, so I think I was extremely realistic about it. And when we did our first tour and, you know, we came home, lost $10,000 and, you know, we had to pay for the bus and all that stuff, you know, they all looked at me like, Oh no. And I'm like, yeah, Hey, welcome to be in in the, in the band business. You know, this is what I've done my entire life is have rock bands. And this is what they all do. You know, you start them up with high hopes and the music's great and the brotherhood's strong and you're feeling the love. And then comes the reality of the business. I mean, the, the killing is my business tour. We basically put on my dad's credit card, you know what I mean? And we had to figure out a way to pay it off, you know, and, and, and that's just, you know, that's what bands are, man. And, and, and some bands make it through a couple, you know, but most bands don't, you know, most bands, there's just so much. And me and Dave are really lucky because we made it through, you know, we're, we're one of a few, we're one of a handful that really, you know, made it, made it, not only made it through and survived, but eventually at the end of the day, we, you know, we thrived. But again, every day for Megadeth, it's like, just because we made a great record with Dystopia, it's like, you know, the next record's got to be every bit as good. There's no resting on the laurels. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaVaughn. Mitch LaVaughn. Hey, this is Richard Marks, the host of Song Talks, right here on Podcast One. Every week, I will explore the impact music has on our lives through interviews with singers, songwriters, and other amazing guests about the classic songs that have impacted them. Check out Song Talks every Wednesday at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe at iTunes. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Let's get right back to our interview with David Ellison of Megadeth. Before we left off, he was talking about how Megadeth cannot rest on their laurels for the next album. And so without further ado, here is part two of my interview with Megadeth's David Ellison. The next record's got to be every bit as good. There's no resting on the laurels. No, but you are you are in a very comfortable position because a lot of bands, as the careers go on, it starts waning, and it just seems to me as though Megadeth has actually gotten better in the last five to ten years. It's 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 a strange curve that you guys have are on, right? I mean, you know, dystopia. Is just... it, it is. It it is, and I think and thank you for that, by the way. But you're right, Mitch. I mean, I mean, I think a big part of it too is you know probably over. I've always said over the years, the probably the hardest years are certainly the formation. They're probably the most fun years, putting something together because it's fun and and everybody is excited. And then, then there comes this moment of reality. Is it going to hit? Are we going to have a, are we going to have any fans? Are they even going to like it? Then you go through these periods of, 
expectations, you know, which is why I always encourage young people like the doll skins. I said, if you're going to try this, do it right now. You're freaking your teenagers, you're young, go. I mean, you've got nothing to lose because as you get older, you start having, you know, you know, women want to get married and have kids, men get girls pregnant, get married, you know, college life bills, things happen, you know, life shows up, you know, and, and, you know, young rock and roll is a young person's game, you know? So I'm always about, you know, get in the game and go, man, and get, and just fire it up and see if you got something. And, and, um, you know, for Megadeth, you know, I think probably those middle years of, you know, um, obviously, look, we went through lineup changes early on, you know, and, and Dave and I survived those. And then we were in the 90s with a really strong lineup, you know, with the, with Nick and Marty, and we had extremely high output of really great material and the fans loved it. And then that eventually started to dissolve. So we went through another big transition and you're right. The late nineties were not favorable to heavy metal period, you know, because of the Seattle thing that came in and MTV went away and you know what I mean? So some, some things you can control within, you know, like don't get on drugs and don't let your band break up as best you can. And then sometimes there's just some things from, from the outside that, that affect you again, like MTV and, you know, new genre. I mean, when Seattle showed up, man, I mean, turn the channel, heavy metal was over, you know, and, and, and at least to the mainstream, you know, and, and being able to survive that, that, you know, that really shows what you're made of as far as a genre and just the tenacity and your commitment to your craft. Yeah. And, and you know what, the, the Seattle thing back then as a fan, I was sort of like, Oh, all my bands are disappearing. But I think the ones that emerged after, whether it's Def Leppard or Megadeth or Metallica, <clears throat> everybody that came, the ones that survived it seemed to have gotten stronger from it. So it was a nice sort of reset button, I think, for for everyone. Uh, you know, twenty yeah, years I, after. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, look, and and this is unpopular for a heavy metal guy to say, but I actually really enjoyed a lot of the music. You know, I loved the Pearl Jam Ten record. The Nirvana record was cool. I I grew up loved. I dug punk rock, so I got it. I loved it. You know, and, and again, there was this sort of big bloated hair band, over sensationalized, over self importance kind of style of metal or rock that was all over the radio and MTV at the time. And you know what? It needed a good kick in the nuts. It really did. You know, it needed something to change it. And, you know, Alice in Chains were out with us, you know, on uh, Clash of the Titans. And they, you know, Alice in Chains are, are awesome, you know, and, and, you know, and again, even a lot of those bands didn't survive, you know, the success that they had, you know. So again, I, I kind of appreciated the punk rock, uh, the punk rockness of that came in from some of that, that Seattle sound. And, and, it, and, it, and it, it's a reminder that, again, you man, nothing's going to stay the same forever, you know, and things are going to change and, and you got to be flexible and, and, and um, you know, be able to, to kind of roll with the punches a little bit, too. Yeah, you absolutely do. Now, two more, one other thing that you mentioned was uh, you touched upon Old School and Barry Gordy. Uh, recently, we lost Chuck Berry. Were you a fan of Chuck Berry's? Did he affect anything you did? You know, not really. I mean, he's so far beyond, so far ahead of, you know, anything right. I was into. But, you know, look, I, you know, certainly you know, Johnny be good. You know, I mean, <laughs> I think everybody, every one of us as a, as a kid of my generation, we probably learned that tune. And, you know, look, his bends, I mean, the way he would bend strings, those are classic. And that kind of invented, you know, rock and roll guitar playing. I mean, he was he was kind of the inventor and the pioneer of, of a lot of that. Probably him, Bo Diddley and these guys, you know. But it's like, and just kind of the sort of vicious 
attack that he had on the guitar that those are the components that he brought that that still affect me and certainly my contemporaries to this day yeah and now the other thing you mentioned was quickly the the mega death grammy after all these years is it rewarding is it just a corporate thing that you don't really care i mean how does it feel in terms of winning it personally is it is it recognition that's due or is it like meh it's just a, a, a thing you know, it's I, you know we've always said, look, it's great to be nominated. We love being nominated, and we've been nominated so many times. I mean, since back on like you know 1991, um, I think was our first nomination. We were on tour; we couldn't even go. You know, so um, there, there's this moment where like you know like your parents suddenly take you seriously. Like, wow, you guys were nominated for a Grammy. So I think in the beginning, it's kind of that. See, mom, I told you we'd do something good with our life <laughs> moments, you know. And then as you go on, you realize, like, wow, it wasn't a fluke. Like, they, they nominated it again and again and again. And then, and then there comes this moment where you're like, you know what? It really would be nice to win one of these. And, and, and quite honestly, look, our, our fans are what make us as heavy metal. That's why even when MTV and these things went away, you know, we survived because it's our fans that support us. I mean, that's really what our genre is about. So, you know, does life go on with or without one? Of course it does, you know. But I got to say, I think this year uh, winning the Grammy, um, it, it not only was like kind of this nice prop for Megadeth, but it was just as much, um, it was a real prop, I think, for heavy metal. Um, we made, I think, a really good record with Dystopia. And I think just as much, I think our fans were kind of like, see, we told you, we always believed in Megadeth, you know? So I've, I've said, you know, this Grammy was as much for our fans as it was for the four of us, because, you know, they're the ones who have really stood by us through all this. And, and, um, you know, so in, in a, in a big way, it, it, it's, it's kind of the cherry on top for our entire genre. It really is, and it, it sort of speaks to what we were talking about earlier, that you are very, very relevant uh, musically going these days, because theoretically you should have won this in 1990 or 1991, or, and it's, it's mm -hmm. 2017, and it just goes to show that you're still on top of your game. Um, headline from recently, especially here in Canada, is Megadeth bassist and Lutheran pastor David Ellison to discuss theology of heavy metal lyrics. You came up to Edmonton, and you gave mm -hmm. this speech. Um, talk to me about giving that speech, and you know what is sort of the the theology of heavy metal lyrics. And I also want to know, you know, we've had that rebirth where you where you uh, went back to to God and all that, but taking right. that next step to being a pastor. Uh, rather than just a, 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 I don't want to say a follower, but just being, you know, part of the, the flock. But actually, talk to me about wanting to become a pastor. Well, okay, so here's here's the, the scoop on it. So right. um, Bill Anderson, who's a uh, pastor up there in Edmonton, when I did that seminary um, course, and it was a four-year course, I did one year of it. I did not complete the whole thing because it was very clear to look, if you're going to do this, we want you to come in house and be a Lutheran pastor. And I just, listen, I don't think that's not on my radar right this minute. I thought it'd be kind of, I've done online education before on tour uh, through university of Phoenix years ago in the late nineties. And I dig it. It's something that's kind of cool to do. There's a lot of downtime on tour. So I enjoyed doing it. And this, this, this seminary track opened up through our church. It was all online. So I thought, you know, why not? Let's, let's, and part of it, quite honestly, was born out of gratitude. You know, I'm very thankful for all this great stuff with Megadeth and, 
you know, I have a wonderful life as a result of it. And so I thought, all right, well, look, let me see if there's anything I can be helpful to the church somehow or whatever, you know, what I, what I can do. So I started doing it and I did it for a year. And, and, um, and then I, I, I put it all on hold. I just said, listen, this is not the season of my life where I'm going to be able to complete this, this whole thing. So I, I basically have a license where I can, as I call Miriam and Barium, right. Where I can do funerals and weddings and I've done some baptisms and, uh, you know, I, I end up doing a lot of, you know, kind of, um, you know, through through sort of my other kind of recovery stuff that I do. Because really the way I sort of came back to the whole God thing is when I got clean, when I got sober back in 1990, right? So that's really where this all started. And, and again, I grew up in the Lutheran church as a kid, you know, with my family and stuff. So it's not, you know, any real kind of wacky, charismatic kind of church thing that I'm into, you know, and it's just, it's, uh, it's just, sort of kind of been part, you know, pray at meals and pray at night and it's been kind of part of my deal, you know, and getting clean and getting off drugs was kind of the, you know, coming back to a lot of that stuff years ago. So um, fast forward, I do the seminary uh, stuff in 2012, I think it was, is when we were on Gigantor, actually on Gigantor 2012. But, you know, I wrote, I noticed a really interesting thing. The story went out on the St. Louis dispatch about um, a guy called me, he hit, he hit me up. He said, Hey, I'm doing a story in this seminary thing. And I realized you, the bass player in Megadeth are in this class. Can I interview? I said, sure. So the story hits, goes out, it's on the newswire. I'm at, I'm at the NAMM show, right? It's literally the week before 2012 Gigantor started. I'm sitting, I think at the Harkey booth signing autographs. And fans start coming through the line and said, Hey, we just saw this story today that hit the newswire that you're in this seminary thing. And pastoral training and they're like high five me going dude that is so cool you're doing that you're you know you're like the right guy to do that that's that's really cool not once did anybody come up and you know hail satan and you're a loser and you should be thrown in the fire because you're you know not at all i mean the, the, the metal fans were the most supportive of it right and meanwhile you know i started realizing some of the church community was having a problem with it i'm like oh this is the very thing of why when I was a kid, you know, people were like the church burns heavy metal records and we polarize and we pull away from them. It's, it's, it's the thing that, you know, rather than being sort of all inclusive, which is honestly what I think our creator would want us to be is this all to get along. Instead, they sort of create these, these lines and, and, and it's almost like they can't help it. So, so here we are this month, Dave, um, when we're putting the boot camp together, Megadeth boot camp that we did a couple of weeks ago, Dave hit me a few months ago and he said, he goes, Hey, it'd be cool if we did like Megadeth church in the morning. I said, sure. I'd be happy to do it. And I said, you know, any ideas of what I should preach on? It's kind of a sensitive subject. And he just said, he goes, how about like, you know, you can still listen to heavy metal and not go to hell. I thought, awesome. You know, so that's, that was the theme of the sermon. So around the same time, and I, and around the same time, Bill up in Edmonton hit me and said, "Hey, can I have you come up? It's the 500th year of the Reformation of the Church, Martin Luther." And, and I and I said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And and so I kind of used the same topic, and it was interesting because I, I opened it up with, uh, you know, Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast, uh, Sabbath, War Pigs, Slayer, South of Heaven. I uh, used Ghost, Absolution, and Megadeth, Holy Word. That, that was my worship music for this thing, right? That I sort of based the theology on. And, and, you know, as I called my pastor, I said, like, give me, give me some, you know, give me some, some scripture to go to that I can kind of, you know, point this to. And so, you know, the beginning of that whole woe to you, O earth and sea, the beginning of the Iron Maiden tune is all straight out of Revelation 13, 18 and book of Revelation talks all about 
Satan being the fallen angel and taking a third of the heavenly host with him and just kind of being a pain in the butt to God and all this, you know, to sin and temptation and all this stuff. So that really was kind of the, the basis of the theology of it. And, and it's funny that, um, you kind of understand the creation, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then you go to the rebel, you know, revelation, you know, kind of the beginning and the end of, the, of Scripture. It's like it really ties the story together. And so it was interesting doing this sermon at boot camp because I'm talking to metalheads, of which I am, so us, I'll say, us metalheads, about like, look, God's, you know, he's cool with this. I mean, you know, God's the creator through which God is how all music is created. The devil has no creative or redemptive power. So, you know, the music didn't come from the devil, you know, as, as a lot of people would think. So it's kind of like the sigh of relief, like, Hey, we're good. We're cool. You know, um, at the same time, look, if music or movies or whatever it is you're into forces you down roads of temptation, well then, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing it, you know? Um, and I speak from experience with that for sure. So meanwhile, a week later, of course, I go to Edmonton and I give, you know, kind of this similar um, discussion, lectured uh, on this thing. And it was interesting talking to the more churchy people about it. And I almost felt in some ways like I was kind of defending heavy metal, (laughs) like I was defending heavy metal to the church. And I was like, well, isn't this interesting? The same kind of topic and sermon, if you will, Uh, it wasn't really a sermon. It was more of a lecture. Same thing, one last week to the metalheads, this week to the church, and what a weird dynamic, you know? And I feel, I gotta be honest with you, I feel a lot more comfortable doing it around us metalheads because, you know, we grew up being kind of polarized, in some cases even ostracized from the church and the religious people. And they had this sort of judgment thing. And look, the Lord makes it real clear, it's mine to avenge, you know? People are meant to love each other and, you know, it's it's God's the one that does the judge and not the people. And I think that's kind of one of the main focuses of of the religious thing over the years is that you know we we tend to judge other people and we're you know we're called not to so that that's kind of the the long answer to your short question well, yeah, and, <laughs> on how that went and, and i get a sense that when you were in edmonton you almost have to be sort of an apologist for the for the lyrics which which totally. seems yeah. I, I i i did you're, you're mitch you're totally right and i felt that way and, and it's not their fault and, and bill who invited me up was wonderful because again he's metalhead that's why he hit me actually he was at the show he I, I gave him some passes so we could meet last year when we went to edmonton on the dystopia tour and that's when we talked and we hit it off and he's like look i'm a, i'm a you know i'm a metalhead you know i'm i'm into you know rock and roll and metal and megadeth and i love your lyrics i love what you talk about it and so he wanted that so he said he goes i'd love for you to sort of stand up there and as a metalhead and also now as a theologian at least to some degree, to say, hey, you know, look, you know, we don't all worship the devil. We're not all leading everyone down the roads of temptation and taking people to hell through our music, which I don't think we are. I mean, that's a funny thing, like South of Heaven by Slayer. I used to think, I had to learn that, I think, from Metal Legion's gig or something, right? So I'm learning it, and um, and I'm reading through the lyrics, and I, and I was thinking, okay, well, South of Heaven's not about hell. It's about the next stop, South of Heaven, which is Earth, where everything's all messed up, you know? And and when you go back to Genesis 3 and you look at the fall of, of man and the sinful fallen world that we live in, the whole story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, and, and uh, you know, whether you believe that to be literal or figurative, it, 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 it's, it, it, there's the story, you know, and, and that, you know, this sort of fallen thing of man of, you know, it's, it's funny because we, you know, most headline news, and you know, magazines in the grocery store are all kind of like, can you believe this is what he did? We thought he was such a good guy, and he, this is what he did. When reality of it, when you take it theologically, it should be more like, 
can you believe he did anything good at all? I mean, the guy's a sinner and he lives in a fallen world, tempted daily. I mean, as we all are, I mean, all we're, we're human, rub the flesh, man. We're, we don't have much defense against it, you know, and hence the, hence the need of, you know, of the creator. So, you know, I think when you kind of frame it like that, it's sort of like, it takes a burden off, it takes a weight off and there's a whole different way to look at it. And look in metal, let's face it. Most of us, when I was growing up, Sabbath, Ronnie Dio lyrics, you know, um, you know, then Slayer today, maybe ghost, whatever, you know, there, there's always this sort of fascination with the, with the occult and the dark side and the abyss and what if, and you know, all these different things. So, you know, it's kind of, that's what we do as a genre is we sort of like, you know, we like, you know, we watch scary movies. We were sometimes write scary music and sometimes just because we write it or we do this doesn't necessarily mean that that's our testimony either. It's not always a personal experience. You know, we've written a lot of Megadeth songs that are basically fictional accounts. You know, it's just, it's not, you know, five magics isn't something we did, you know, that's just this, it's a story, you know, and same with bad omen or these kind of things. So, and that, that was one of the things I really wanted to make clear is that like we write, you know, sometimes songs, it's like, it's like Stephen King writing a fictional novel. It didn't actually happen. It's just a story about it. Just enjoy the story and don't put so much judgment around it. Are there any Megadeth songs that you will refuse to play now because of the lyrical content? Or is that just like, no, th- th- these are just made-up lyrics and l- l- so be it. I mean, the, none of the ones that I wrote uh, okay. are, are in that category. You know, um, you know, Dave's got a couple that he really feels you know, I don't want to stand up there on that stage and sing that, you know, and he's been open about it. And of course, no one asked about it until he said that. And, and he said it because it was a conviction to him. You know, he's just kind of like, look, I'm not going to sing those songs. I don't feel comfortable singing. I wrote them. I've got the right to play them or not. And I don't want to. And so I, I stand behind him on that, you know, you know, again, as the author of those tunes, it's, it's kind of his choice, really. Yeah. Now, uh, I don't know how much more time you have, but I have just a couple more things, if, if I may. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The recently announced Scorpions Megadeth tour, which, first of all, I'm a huge Scorpions fan, and, and to actually have a great opener has tickled me pink. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but, but on one hand, you, you've got sort of a, a rock and roll band, and on the other hand, there is that a little <laughs> bit of disparity in terms of musical style, yet it's a great package for, for a fan like myself. But what's it to you to be on a stage or knowing that Klaus mine is coming right after. And because, you know, it's 50 years in the biz, they, they, they certainly yeah. did something right. Well, you know, I, I, I agree. I think it's a great bill. We played with Scorpions, you know, over the years, late nineties. We, I remember we did some shows in, uh, I think of Porto, uh, Spain. We did a festival with them. We just played last, uh, last spring. Uh, we did a festival in San Antonio <clears throat> and, um, with them, we played and then they, they played right after us and, I mean, first of all, we're fans of the Scorpions, make no mistake. You know, there there's a few bands that me and especially I know Kiko's a huge fan of Scorpion stuff. Obviously, me and Dave, when me and Dave met, we were basically, you know, there, we had a friend that was going to, to MI, the Guitar Institute uh, Techno or GIT there, right? And in Hollywood and we'd come over and he'd show us these. Like we're, I remember at one point we were like learning, we're listening to like a lot of Virgin Killer and you know old old Scorp stuff. And I mean, I remember one day we we're sitting around learning Sales of Sharon, you know, and and because Uli was just that guy, and and I love Matthias's playing, and you know Rudy, Rudy. There's a couple of main key rhythm guitar players that have influenced the metal rhythm players, Malcolm Young and Rudolf Schenker. I mean, they're the guys, and 
So for, you know, I think it, for us, you know, between Sabbath, Judas Priest, Scorpions, Maiden, I mean, there's and probably Motorhead, you know, I mean, there's certainly the top five of the generation right before us. And I mean, we wouldn't be here without those bands. So, um, you know, we've become friends with them now over the years because we've become, te- you know, contemporaries with them and everything. But, you know, these guys are, they're icons. Man. And then the Scorpions, you know, through the you know 80s and they wrote massive cool tunes you know um ballads and 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 otherwise you know so i for us it's it's a good musical fit and i think the fans i I think it's a good night out man i think i think it's a really really cool bill i'm I'm glad it's happening it is an incredible bill and and just quickly you mentioned uli uh he played here not too long ago and i picked him up at the hotel to bring him over to sound check and he says Mm -hmm. to me i need to go shopping at walmart and so you you can't understand how i am uh, here's a guy I've listened to Taken by Force and, uh, you know, in trance. And I'm shopping in Walmart with him. It was the, <laughs> the most surreal moment <laughs> of my entire life. And they were, he, he was shopping for pillows for the bus. And I'm just like... Awesome. Can, can a you... true rock star. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you... And, you know, you know <laughs> speaking to that, what's funny about that is now you take the Scorpions. And, uh, and I mean, these guys are full rock stars on every level. And I think with Mickey D joining the band, I mean, I just noticed the whole energy. You know, him being Swedish, them being German, it's a good fit. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and Mickey, I think, gets that whole thing. I was really happy for Mickey when he landed that gig. It was really a nice transition, you know, from from Lemmy passing and everything and Mickey deserves it. He's a great player and great, just got good energy around him, you know, and, and the Scorpions, man, I mean, these guys, you know, it's, it's just cool being backstage with them because I mean, they're, they're just, they're full blown rock stars, you know, and it's, uh, and they, they, you know, look, they, let's face it, they pretty them and accept, you know, they like, they're the German flag of heavy metal for us. They, they really are. And, and they, they need to make an album, with Mickey, that's that's for. And by the way, Uli gave me a, a handful of guitar picks. So when I see you at Rockfest in in Montebello, Quebec, I'll I'll, I'll give you one. Um, you can have. Good, perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank uh, you. And, yeah. and let me. I, I I know we've gone way over here, so I'll finish with these the sort of two rapid fire ones. Kiko, that you mentioned, mm-hmm. he he's just brought from a fan's perspective, just an energy to the band. And I'm not discounting what anybody else did because they all did some great stuff, right. Marty. And, yeah. But to you, what do you feel just with him in the band? What's he like? What has he brought? The, the, the you know, revitalization, the, mm-hmm. I mean, he's just perfect, right? For, for Megadeth. He's, 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 he's incredible. He's incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a great fit. I mean, there was, you know, there was discussion, there was a very short list of potential guys and, and, um, you know, one day Dave called me up, I guess probably February, 2000. 15 and you know the rust and peace uh you know revisit had sailed and we knew that wasn't going to happen and there was kind of a sigh of relief like okay that's that's past now and now we move forward and dave hit me and he said hey i found a new guitar player kiko i think he's the guy i love his brazilian thing he brings in he's got this nylon string uh jazz thing that he does and and that was cool, you know, and again, that, that's, you know, one of Dave's key roles in Megadeth is he, he said he cast the vision, you know, and, 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 and he was right. It's like, man, there's always been the other guitar player, you know, has been has had some diversity, um, brings in some diversity. So, so between Dave and, you know, Kiko, I mean, there's really such a good they're a good team. You know what I mean? They, they each do some different things, which we want to hear in Megadeth. 
yet they're a good team, you know, and, and Dave has always been one to bring in people who do some things he doesn't do. And, and as musicians, that can be a, you know, that can be kind of a, a, a little, you know, check on our egos, you know, like, well, I don't know if I want this guy in the room because he does something maybe better that I don't do or something different that I don't do. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's really always been a joy in Megadeth to have that, that, you know, that, that twin guitar team where two guys do some things different because that's what really adds to the color. And I think Kiko has brought incredible diversity to the Megadeth music. It's still heavy. It's got all the riffs and the stuff that, that Dave's bring, that Dave brings to it yet you know, Dave invites this, this other, you know, these other colors into it. And, and that's a big part of what I think made dystopia such, you know, the record that it is. Yeah, it really is. Um, and, and we'll finish with, the, with, with these two here. Uh, dystopia in Japan in May is getting re-released as a deluxe edition with bonus live tracks and the whole thing. Just speak to me quickly about the record in terms of it, the legs it's had and, and the reaction that fans have. And what are we looking towards uh, in terms of new Megadeth album are we looking at 2018 2019 or there's just no plan at this point you know there isn't really a plan set we're just kind of starting to put now that the Scorpions tour has been announced and we're looking at how we're going to wind the year down in 2018 and sort of plans moving forward and and you know Megadeth is one of these bands where <laughs> certainly the, a new album kind of triggers the cycle for us to be out doing things but yet you know um Dystopia is very similar to Peace Cells, Rust in Peace, uh, Cryptic Writings, even where we had these big, you know, 18 to 24 month tour cycles, you know, around it. And, 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 you know, again, it's a different day now where, you know, the touring and a lot of these festivals, even here in America and up, you know, in Canada. Um, so there's a lot more opportunities and different things that we get, that we get called to be a part of. And, um, um, you know, I would think probably this year we're going to start digging into writing, even while we're on tour. Probably start, for, you know, getting some ideas going, and and it'll be a, it'll be a different experience too, because now you know instead of Kiko just sort of coming into an album that's written, um, and Dirk just coming into a tour that's in motion, you know, now we'll be the four of us working together on a record from Jump Street, and I'm excited to hear what that's going to be now. Yeah, I'm very, very much looking forward to that. Now we didn't really get a chance to plug the uh, Ellison coffee company coffee co but uh, if there's anything you want to say about about the coffee choices please feel free and if not sure but they so yeah. yeah yeah no well you kind of plugged it right there no i think you know we're actually doing our big uh our grand opening april 7th through 9th uh at the retail shop in jackson minnesota my hometown and um don jameson comedian don jameson's going to be there he's got some great coffee jokes and he's kind of our host with the most we're we're doing a paranormal uh, Mary Jane, an exploration paranormal experience down to the grave site, the, the, the grave site where Mary Jane uh, was buried. Um, paranormal author Adrian Lee, who's from the area. Um, so he's going to be there. And, he, and that actually led to one of our roasts that we have called Urban Legend um, that we put together uh, there. So yeah, we got uh, Roast in Peace is our kind of our flagship uh, roast that we have. And we've got she Wolf was our light blend. Kenya Thrash is our medium, and Urban Legend is is another dark roast, but it's got the whole story of the Mary Jane and all this stuff around it. So yeah, it should be a should be a fun weekend. And you can uh, dot com is our online portal where you can buy uh, buy coffee online and roasted, packaged, and shipped fresh to you. So a couple of different ways you can get get awesome coffee. There you go. Yeah, and I'm on the web page now. I'm. Lo- 
I'm going to have to hit the shop before I, I hang up. But uh, there you go. Always a pleasure. Awesome. And, of Thank course, I, I will see you in Montebello in, uh, at the Rockfest. Uh, very much looking forward to that. Always looking forward to that. And, of course, you're coming back yeah. with the Scorpions in September in this part of the world. Yeah. So, fantastique, as we say up in here, up in Quebec. Benza, yeah. It big, yep. It's, 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 we've got a great year ahead of us. So, looking forward to it. Looking yeah. forward to seeing you, Mitch. Yep. Thank you for Thanks, everything. Man. Talk to you soon. Welcome. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. And there you have it, folks, my interview with David Ellefson of Megadeth. Make sure to catch the band on tour later this year with the Scorpions. Oh, that is such an exciting thing, the Scorpions and, of course, Megadeth. Always, by the way, always, always a pleasure to talk to David. He's always been very nice over the years, and so I thank him for that, and I thank him for all the music as well. And while you're checking out Megadeth and Megadeth tour dates with the Scorpions, just head over to Twitter and check me out at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. I am also on Instagram, that is at Mitch underscore Lafon. So uh, check all that stuff out, and if you want to know anything else, uh, just head over to the Google and uh, hit in Mitch Lafon. Uh, thank you all, folks, and uh, that is it. That is all, and bye for now. <laughs> Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app. Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Everyone sells today. So how do you bring your best sales game every day? Simple. Listen to the Advanced Selling Podcast on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Bill Kasky. And I'm Brian Neal. Each week, we answer listener questions like, how do I compete against a cheap competitor? And Brian's favorite, because he always has an answer to this, how do I meet with a CEO when they won't even return my calls? The Advanced Selling Podcast is where the best go to get better. Listen Mondays on Podcast One and on iTunes. President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs. It is seriously impacting the ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue repair and damage assessment operations. Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet. I'm Rita Foley.